0: Welcome to a free agency wrap-up episode of the Haber Show podcast. This week we're joined uh, by ESPN's Amin El-Hassan. You've seen him regularly on The Jump with Rachel Nichols. You can catch him on SiriusXM NBA Radio, where he's a host there. And also with me on the Count the Dings podcast network. Amin is a super smart NBA analyst, having worked in the front office of the New York Knicks and the Phoenix Suns during the 7 Seconds or Less era. Amin has real NBA behind-the-scenes bonafides, uh, working with Steve Kerr, David Griffin, the president of basketball operations for the uh, New Orleans Pelicans. Then you got Alvin Gentry and Mike D'Antoni, Steve Nash, Amari Stodemeyer. Uh, We'll get into some of that, but mostly uh, we'll get into the Lakers with or without Kawhi Leonard. Remember, we're taping this before we find out about Kawhi Leonard's decision. Uh, We're also going to talk about the Warriors' next phase without Andre Iguodala and KD. We're going to talk about the Philadelphia 76ers moving on from Jimmy Butler, signing Al Horford and getting Josh Richardson. Uh, And we'll also hear from Amin about his dark horse pick, For the NBA title. He's not picking them, but if there's value on the board, he really likes this team. Find out that and more. Uh, Let's just get to it. All right. On to the Haver Show. All right. We've got Amin El Hassan on the line here. What's going on, my man?
1: That's your intro? I thought that'd be something a little bit more effusive than that.
0: We've got some guy on the phone who apparently knows a thing or two about basketball, also, really big into soccer. Amin el Hassan.
1: There you go. All I know is that Ethan Strauss on Warriors Wednesday gives me a much better intro. I mean, he, there's enthusiasm in it. There's effusive praise. I can't,
0: I can't compete yeah. with that. There's like alarm sounds. There's animal yeah. sounds. But actually, post-edit, I'll give you a proper intro. That's how we do okay. this. All right. Post-production, we'll, uh, we'll give you a proper intro with all your accolades and your uh, your your resume, essentially. And and that's where I do want to begin, Amin is we are in Kawaii Watch right now. You have been on The Jump uh, all this week, and I wanted to know for the listeners out there who aren't uh, familiar with your story, how does one from Sudan get to be a regular on the NBA's The Jump, the daily ESPN NBA show? How does that happen? A kid growing up, I guess from 8 to 14, you were in Sudan. How does that go from uh, that to nba analyst uh former nba front office guy
1: uh well i think you just hit the hit it right there at the end it's because i worked in the nba in a front office and you know when i so when i was 14 years old uh, my family moved back from sudan to america i finished up high school here in new york city and i uh, went to college thinking i was gonna be an engineer so I went to Georgia Tech. Now, that was that
0: because your parents wanted you to be an engineer, or because you thought you wanted to be an engineer?
1: No, because I, I had no idea what I wanted to do. But I was good at math and science, and you know, up until that point, I grew up thinking that first of all, a nobody loved the no one, no one actually liked their job. Like the idea that like oh yo, you study to do something that you would actually like to do is just a foreign concept. You you studied to get a degree in an area that was sure to be. A like you'd always be an employed, uh, you'd always be employed, and B you'd be compensated well for. So doctor, lawyer, engineer, architect, whatever, right? And so you know, I know I was like oh, I'm good at math and I'm good at like physics and stuff like that. So I guess it's engineer, right? Yeah. Went to. I-
0: my cousin was an engineer or my cousin went to school at Vanderbilt to be an engineer and got right. like straight A's and dropped out, just straight up dropped out because he just didn't want to do engineering <laughs> anymore. He was like, this is not, this is not oh, for
1: me. He dropped out of college He altogether? dropped out of
0: college. That was how much he loved doing engineering work was he was really good. He was just like, yeah, I'm, I'm good. I'm going to take Ma- some time off here.
1: It made him quit like the whole concept <laughs> of a higher education. That's amazing.
0: Yeah, I don't know. What, I don't know anything about uh, what engineering school is like, but I'm guessing you can tell me it's. Uh, it's not the greatest experience. It
1: de- Honestly, it depends. It depends on two things. One, where you go to school, all right So Georgia Tech, you know, like I had friends that went to MIT, and when they described their experience at MIT, it was like night and day. Like MIT was like this place of like, oh, welcome here desk no sit in this beanbag grades what are those we just want you to learn right and it just sounds so amazing and georgia tech is like like it's like uh the first 30 minutes of full metal jacket yeah like just being screamed at and like everything is super hard for no reason and and like they tell you all the time that everyone's gonna die and only three of you are gonna survive and 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 i was just like why 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 does it have to be this way? So, were you um, a
0: big hoops head at that point? Who was playing yeah. Georgia Tech at that point?
1: Well, I went to Georgia Tech because Stephon Marbury was at Georgia Tech. So that's, that's the other funny thing about my story is that I, I did not know, I did not know enough about American colleges. Like I knew MIT was good, and Harvard was good, and Columbia, and like you know, like but I didn't know enough about other colleges, right? Yeah, and so um when i was in high school there was like a massive blizzard that hit new york city and uh, obviously i wasn't accustomed to the cold or snow or anything (laughs) like that and so i made up my mind i'm not going anywhere cold like i'm going somewhere warm where there's no winters and all that stuff and so i said atlanta that's in the south it never gets cold there never again this Tells you, tell, this is literally all the entire thought process. Like, wh- okay, I guess I'm going to do engineering. I don't, I don't know what else. Two, like, oh, it's cold. I want to go somewhere where it's warm. And three, Stephon Marbury went there. That's pretty cool. <laughs> like, honest, didn't know anything about Georgia Tech. And then I went there and I realized it was like drill sergeant hell <laughs> like for engineers. I mean, it's a great school academically. It's just I just found it unnecessarily. Draconian, but the other thing to have is there was two things one it depends on where you go to school and two is There were people who truly loved engineering like like the type of people who take a take apart their clock radio and put it back together and or you know You know when they wanted to get a computer they would build it from scratch and then These were things that I'm not saying I couldn't do. I just had zero in like why I don't it would it would be like someone uh, who is a casual basketball fan and then you're like hey you want to know about like base your compensation and like (laughs) no i don't i just want to watch the the guy dunk the ball and that's it right
0: what is an engineer like when you walk into a dorm room of a fan of the nba there's like michael jordan poster on the wall or like little bobbleheads everywhere or like jordan shoes what is an engineering like a, a engineering school student have on their walls
1: Oh no! I mean, they were regular people. They had interest in like <laughs> basketball and football, and like you know, at the time it was the, you know talking about whether the Cowboys would be good. You know, like that—that that was that was real, you know. Or, or well, definitely lots of Bulls fans, but it's just they truly enjoyed the engineering part. And I, I had, from day one. I knew I had zero joy. It was always a job for me. It was always a grind. It was always just get through this, graduate, and you're gonna get a job, and then everything will be fine, and you'll you'll work for 40 years at a job that you hate, but you'll always have a job, and you'll always get you'll have a you know good living. And they tell us, you know, like first year graduates, like just with a bachelor's degree, they average this amount of money. I was like wow, that's a lot of money. Uh, so it just. You know, you you just I just went through the motions because I thought that's what you're supposed to do. But, you know, it was very apparent to me that, okay, not everyone is approaching this the same way I'm approaching it because they actually have an interest in this. And so uh, that was around the time that I got my first NBA job, which was a complete accident. Um, I I was sleeping uh, on a Saturday and my roommate comes in and he wakes me up. It was like six in the morning. And you can understand what Friday night was like, right? <laughs> so he's like, "Come on, come on, the, the, the Hawks are having a job fair," and I said, "I told them politely to go bleep himself," and they said, "Come on, man, let's go. Let's like we might get a job." I said, "They're not going to hire us." Come on, come on, like you don't know unless you try. Like, don't leave me alone. It's too early. And then he says the magic words that I'll never forget: "Who knows? We might be able to go to get go to some games for free." Mm. And I remember lying in bed with the blanket over my head and thinking, mm-hmm, free basketball would be fun. <laughs> was, like, I was, I was always a hoops head. It was just, and uh, like a very involved hoops head. Like, at a time, I, I tried to explain to people, you know, you guys are lucky. There's the base, uh, excuse me, there's Larry Kuhn FAQ online. There's um, the CBA 101 thing that the Players Association and NBA post on. Back then, there was none of that. Like, if you wanted that stuff, you have to write letters to places and they you know, hopefully send you a copy or whatever. So I was the dude who had a copy of the CBA and just tried to uh, – uh, and it wasn't even because I'm going to work in this. Uh, it wasn't even that. It was literally – I just want to understand why the salaries have to match. <laughs> like right. Dumb stuff like that, right?
0: Well, like now so, I feel like that whole background is so key because when people see you as the hate-hard king, right, they see the humor, they see the character – You know, the impressions you do, the lebitard. I mean, but they don't know that you are uh, as well versed in the capology or the the engineering side of the NBA. I,
1: I would say that in 1999, which is when that happened, that, yes, I was like in the top one percentile or top half percentile people who did not work in the NBA who knew cap stuff. Um, today, I, I wouldn't like you know. But
0: the background, Eric, the backbone of just sure, understanding sure, yeah. The things
1: it's started. just, it's just, a, yeah. Like I had a head start on a lot of this stuff, but ultimately, you know, people as more information is out there and available to people, people, are, you know, so people like Eric Pincus, Larry Kuhn, Nate Duncan, uh, Albert Nemar like these people, similar to me, were like outsiders and picked up this document, but they're they're light years ahead of me like they actually like dove into it like and for me it was a lot of it and and I don't know I don't even know like the genesis if they did it like I did like I just want to understand wait why did he get traded here or how did this happen so for me it was literally just answering those questions for other people i imagine you know they literally wanted they may have had dreams of working in this industry and not, i'll be honest that was never at least at the start of it was not my intention uh so we go to this job fair there's like seven million people and it turns out me and my buddy were two of like the ten they hired mm. uh, and it was it was a it was like as entry levels you get as a field marketing job you weren't even working in the arena you you set up these little carnival games and stuff like that in malls every weekend and there's people come and they'd like do a popper shot or like measure their hand size against the in with the tumbos and, and all that and like and they could, win free ticket that they or if they put in for a raffle and stuff. So I did that for a year and then I was I want to say I was employee of the year for that team. So I got me and my buddy got upgraded to in arena game ops. Whoa. The big leagues, right? So <laughs> So that's when I started working Hawks games and uh, you know, working with halftime acts and like quarter break contests and stuff like that and uh and I got to know my very first person in the NBA. The first person in the NBA that I ever knew. You ready for this? I'm ready. Rick Mahorn.
0: Rick Mahorn.
1: Rick Rick Mahorn who I work with now at Sirius XL. But Rick Mahorn was the very first NBA player, NBA coach, NBA anything, like actual like NBA person that people would recognize that I knew. And I knew Rick Mahorn because when I'd be carrying stuff around like hours before the game he would knock it out of my hand and just keep walking
0: <laughs> that sounds very rick mahorn yeah, like he, of all the people that you descri- like of all the people in the nba to do that it would be like rick Mahorn and what like draymond like
1: just no not even draymond it was, it'd be like rick Mahorn and uh i, I would say andre Iguodala would do something like yeah. that probably. like as far as just messing with people just trolling yeah oh uh, he used to mess with me all the time but like it was but you know it wasn't like you know, it wasn't mean-spirited. He was just being Rick Mahorn, like, cause he's like, ah, oh, that kid, like, you know, you know, I like that kid or whatever. So now I'm gonna mess with him, like, just to just to make his life a little bit more difficult. So, uh, but anyways, yeah. So I did that, and then while I was doing that, that's when I was like, man, like, that's what I want to do. And, and I, up until that point, you know, I never imagined that this, I thought like this job was reserved for players, former players, sons of former players, sons of, players, sons of execs, sons of coaches, like I. I thought it was almost like uh like a birthright, right? Like Game of Thrones. You have to be uh of noble like Sir Braun of Blackwater could never <laughs> be, you know, you just yeah. some dude. You're just a cell sword or whatever they call him. So House of um,
0: Hassan,
1: yeah. Yeah, well House Al Hassan wasn't happy when I told him I didn't want to be an engineer. I wanted to work in the NBA, so uh I ended up transferring out, um, and uh, the compromise I made with my parents was okay. I'll I'll get a business degree, which to them was just. And and by the way, and also at Georgia Tech, that's to go from like engineering to they had the business school. The term was you're gonna go ride the M train, huh? Because the M is for management. Are you gonna get a manager? You're gonna ride the M train, and riding the M train meant like you stupid. <laughs> honest to god it was such a derisive like oh he riding the M train. like he f- couldn't cut it uh which again like 20 you know decades later especially like after meeting people at utah i was like i wish i'd done economics man because i was good at i was good at econ and and georgia Tech had a good econ program like i could have killed it and still stayed there and probably had a great opportunity to work with the Hawks given you know me starting to develop relationships there uh and especially where the game has gone as far as analytics Like econ is like the best major uh for that kind of quantitative analysis with the idea uh, it's not hard you know cuz econ's not hard just quant right there's a lot of it that's
0: it's subjective. just a lot of it is just frame of mind like just understanding yes. supply and demand and understanding uh scarcity and understanding yeah. like one player in one year could be super valuable and then the market changes and then 3 years right. later there's just DeMarcus Cousins is going to be a veteran minimum
1: yeah and so econ would have been perfect you know cuz like when I was I was like an electrical engineer then I transferred industrial engineer midway through cuz I thought that would be different all of that is just straight number crunching man um and it's it's it looked you know econ would have been good but anyways I ended up transferring out, and uh, I ended up, after uh, a little roundabout way, I ended up at Arizona State, because uh, my brother was getting his PhD here, and he, he had bought a house, and so my parents said, oh, you can live, you guys can live together, and so that was the appeal to them. If I had said anywhere else, it would have been a probably a hard no. So, um,
0: so you go without this arizona state are you ever in that room with steve kerr alvin gentry and no. david griffin
1: no 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 uh, no, um yeah no it, like because and even then it was still a roundabout way because i had to graduate and then i got an internship with the knicks and so i went back and lived with my aunt and uncle and worked for the knicks for a year in basketball ops and that was the coming of age right like oh okay now i'm doing this stuff and now I'm knowing how the sausage gets made, and all all your little, you know, notions of how the NBA is are completely dashed. Like no, you know nothing, right? You realize you know nothing you know about anything. John Snow. Exactly. Yes. More Game of Thrones. Um, so, anyways, at the end of that year, I go back to ASU to go to grad school because they have the number one sports business grad school. But now I'm like I'm completely focused. I know exactly where the bodies are buried and like how to go about things. So, I try to get an internship with the sons. Doesn't, from the first year, doesn't pan out. I try to get one in the summertime. They end up giving it to the nephew of one of the part owners, who, by the way, is a high school senior. Um, and then finally, I get one during the second year of my master's degree. And that's the year where everything finally comes together. That's the year I'm, I'm in a room with, um, while, you know David Griffin hired me, um, and then that was the year that Steve uh, Steve Nash gets hip-checked uh, by Robert Ory. And at the end of that year, uh, Coach Ivoroni leaves to go to Memphis. He takes the video coordinator with him, and they said, You want to be a video coordinator? And I said, Yes. <laughs> and because this has already been like 80 minutes of me just talking about my life story— all you have to know is that I worked my way up through there for six years. And then I, when I left, ESPN said, hey, do you want to try doing this? And I said, because, uh, you know, I was like, oh, I, I thought I, doing, you know, this would help me, you know, like put my name out there. And instead it was just like, do you want a full time job? And I said, sure. And then it went from writing to a little bit of sports center to, I guess, the jump eventually.
0: The... The free agency stuff this week has been – the first six hours of it was nuts. Uh, I was – I don't know. Were you on air for for the first six hours live?
1: Yeah. So we started the hour before the deadline, so like the clock started. So it started for us on the West Coast at noon, right? Yeah. No, actually oh, at, at, the, three at 3. Yeah. At 3. Yes, I'm sorry. At 3. So we started at 2.
0: But mostly – a lot of the deals had already been –
1: Yes, a lot of so. By the time we're on air at two, we're already well at two, like one fifty-five. Durant announces or it breaks that Durant's going to Brooklyn, and so whatever we had for the A block of our show got scrapped, and we just went Durant in Brooklyn. Uh, and so from, from two to seven, I was on. Well, not the whole time, but like a good maybe a solid three and a half four hours of it.
0: It was nuts. It was nuts. Like I couldn't it's, even it, I couldn't even see straight after that night i mean i was i was writing and, and doing hits until midnight and then i had to write like two more columns that night because there's just so many big things that happen
1: yeah you know what what i realized tom it's not necessarily the big things that happen the little things the are sneaky the fun, things right because yeah. it's just like it's, it's hard to keep up like to this i still blank when i try to remember that jeremy lamb went to indiana or frank kaminsky <laughs> went to phoenix because i'm like because those deals happen and you're like, but I'm still focused talking about Kyrie and KD to Brooklyn. And like, like those are the easy ones because you, it's not, it's not going to sneak up on you that, that um, you know, that uh, uh, Jimmy Butler is playing somewhere different, right? Like that's major news that's going to be talked about and tweeted about and news stories are going to be written about in columns and opinion pieces. So you're, it's always going to be top of mind where the big guys went. Al Horford went to Philly. We know those ones. But when people say, "Hey, man, by the way," um, uh, Aaron Baines, but not Aaron Baines—that was a draft day one. But like draft day was the same thing. Same thing. I was just
0: gonna say the the Jarrett Culver trade.
1: Yes, yes. I wrote in a
0: column like uh, a couple days ago where I was like, "Yeah, the um, what was it? I forget the context, but I said Jarrett Culver uh, was drafted by the Suns and da 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 da, and I was like." I posted the article. It went up, and like within minutes, people were like, um, "Jarrett Culver was traded, uh, duh, to the, to the Atlanta Hawks," and and then they drafted Cam Johnson at the eleven. I was like, yeah. "Oh yeah," it's like, "Oh yeah," like that did happen, and it just slipped my mind because there was a thousand transactions that day, and it just right. got lost in the pile.
1: So like a lot of the little stuff on free agency, those are the ones where you really have to hunker down and and keep. And by the way, also trying to keep straight what the money was, right? Because that's mm-hmm. another one where it's like, so it, I guess, you know, I mean the, the, the iron, you know, we had a lot of free agents, right? What was it? The estimate was like 30 to 40% of the league was a free agent of some sort,
0: mm. Yeah, the, the stat did you, I like did is you hear 60% that? 60% of the Eastern Conference semifinalists starting lineups were free agents. Right, so, right.
1: But just, but I'm talking about like oh, the volume of the, over the cross entirely. Like, there were a lot of free agents, right? Yeah. yeah. M- probably more so than – more than 2016 and probably more more than the, any time in the history of the NBA. And, it, you know, within probably the first day, everything was done. But the, the, by the end of the 30th, almost everybody was done, mm-hmm. scooped up. Uh, it reminds me of – the scene in Back to the Future 2 where Marty is, you know, Doc Brown shows Marty the newspaper where about his son, how he's going to get arrested and his life is going to get ruined. And he says within 24 hours of his arrest, he was tried, uh, convicted and sentenced to life in a prison in a maximum state penitentiary within 24 hours. And he says, yeah, in the future, everything moves a lot quickly since they abolishable lawyers. And so I was like, that's what it felt like. Like within 24 hours, everyone is done. Like, what happened? By July one, we're already like on quiet watch because he's the only one. See, <laughs> that's the thing is like
0: he is operating under a different timetable than all of us.
1: So that's that's interesting, right? So I guess this is our transition to Kawhi Leonard talk, right? Right. Um,
0: right, right now, for those listening, he has not decided, and it probably yeah. will break in a couple minutes here while we're recording this, and yeah. But we, only,
1: only because of Murphy's Law, not because we expected <laughs> that.
0: Yes. So right now, Kawhi Leonard is still a free agent. Uh, who is the number two free agent right now? Is it Danny Green to Marcus Cousins? Like that's how dry the market is after.
1: Actually, after- you know what the number two free agent is? Although uh, his team made a move yesterday that should ensure that he'll stay. Kelly Oubre.
0: Oh yeah. Yeah.
1: Like the funniest thing from, I like I've done like about twelve hours of TV. And a good today will be my ninth hour of radio this week uh, of just hosting radio. That's not counting like guest spots or whatever. Um, Kelly Oubre's name never comes up. Never. And it's, it's 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 which is funny to me because in a in pre agency, I want to say like I'm like all right, there's a lot of names, dude. But like by July one, July two, where people's like, who's the top availables? Willie Cauley Stein and and I'm like, dude, Kelly Ubre. He's gonna get paid. Uh, it looks like now by the Suns, but he, I would say he's the number two free agent on the board, to be honest.
0: Yeah, he's probably up. I mean, I can't come up with a good argument for a lot of these guys. I mean, you can say Demarcus Cousins because he's Demarcus Cousins, no. but you can he's, say he's
1: fishing for minimum. So then, like, if we're gonna go by average annual value of whatever contract yeah, they're gonna, gonna be, sign, yeah, it's gonna be Ubre, Danny Green, and then yeah, and then it might be. J.R. Smith is probably hoping quiet doesn't go to the Lakers. Right? Cause there's a lot of like fringe free agents who are praying Kawhi to stay in Toronto or go to the Clippers. Because unlike uh, so the Raptors have their roster and they pretty much all they have is a mid level exception to Burn outside of, you know, retaining their own guys, yeah. right? Yeah. The the Clippers, while they've got max space or are, are quite near to it. They have pretty much got their roster. They've got no incentive to, you know, cash in that money just now for just anybody. They'd rather just probably hold it and see what kind of trades become available during the year or whatever. But the Lakers, the Lakers don't have a roster right now. They've got LeBron. They've got Anthony Davis. They've got Kyle Kuzma, Troy Daniels, Jared Dudley. Yeah. And those two guys signed for minimum. So there's a pot of about 32 some odd million and then another $4.8 million dollar exception that the Lakers are going to have to burn because they do- literally don't have people. You, n- so you know at the
0: end of this, it's Marcus Morris getting like a $20 million one-year deal, <laughs> one year deal right?
1: Well, that's why I'm – like Marcus Morris is one of those dudes I'm like, all right, he hasn't signed it. And I know he's got a, a market, right, um, especially how he played for – boston last couple of years mm-hmm. so it's just like yeah like that's probably the the fix is in there where it's like you get the Contavius caldwell pope the jj Redick, the like you know that's the big thing that's happened over the last few years right the idea of like you're not worth this much money but we'll give it to you for one year because it's better than nothing
0: which is kind of what i thought the knicks might do with like julius Randle, but they went two years on him um that's fine well, i th-
1: I think Randall's different because Rand, like, unlike those guys that we just named, Randall's young, right? And also the Knicks, from all the other moves, it looks like they're they're saying, forget 2020, 2021 is when we want to be players again. Oh, man. Uh, look, I mean, look, here's the thing. It's fun to bash on the Knicks, and we had a lot of fun with it on on Sunday. Uh, The thirtieth, when you know, hearing that they didn't offer Max to KD and all all the all the Nicky stuff they do, Mm -hmm. right? Like it's just so Nicksy, you guys, right? But if you told me, hey, the Knicks are gonna whiff on all the free agents, all the big free agents, what strategy should they employ next? It's what they're doing now. Go sign some solid vets. Don't overcommit. Stay frosty. Like, try and, like, bring some people who can help raise your young guys and and go from there. And so, you know, Reggie Bullock and Wayne, was Wayne Ellington, right? And, yeah. uh, and the, like, the Knicks are the, Knicks are the, the place Payton. where earlier when we talked about, like, people, you know, the small deals that fly on the radar, it's hard to keep track of, like, the Knicks is everything they did. Like, Julius Randle, I think, is actually, like, could factor into their future. I think Alfred Payton... Was a little bit of a head scratcher, but it, I guess it tells me they didn't like any of their point guards that much, or at least not at this point. Bobby Portis, and then they signed Taj Gibson too, right? Yeah, Taj. Okay, Reggie that was, Bullock, that...
0: Bobby Portis, Julius Randle, uh, Wayne Ellington, Alfred Payton. And, like, right. look, none of those, I mean, they're not going to turn into much, right? Those are all just, as you said, veterans who are just going to yeah. be a stopgap until the next slew of veterans next year. But I mean, you and worked also, for them, grew up in New York. Like we need New York to be better. It is so well, bad for the NBA to not have New York relevant. The Knicks so, being irrelevant. So, and I'm not saying that they had an option to be relevant if KD doesn't well, they, come.
1: They they, 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 well, not if KD doesn't come, but they did. You know, they screwed themselves. And by they, I mean Jim Dolan because Ramona Shelburne broke the news on the jump that um, they there was reticence from the Knicks camp to offer the full max to Kevin Durant. And as such, they literally shot themselves in the head to not be in the Kevin Durant sweepstakes. If you think about the the things that ended up happening for the Nets, right? Kevin Durant wanted to play with Kyrie and DeAndre Jordan specifically. Those are his friends. Yep. You already had DeAndre Jordan. <laughs> right? And and Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving both wanted DeAndre Jordan to be paid. Yep. They didn't want him to come on a minimum or have sacrificed money just to play with them. So it was like we want to play together and we don't want anyone to be here like on a super discount. You already had the dude with his bird rights in the building.
0: It would have been so much easier. They
1: wanted to play in New York. You know, like that's the thing. Now, there is a – I brought this up on a jump. There's an alternate reality where Kevin Durant never gets hurt. And so the Knicks never hesitate in offering the max. And I wonder if Kyrie says, I'm going to Brooklyn. And Durant says, well, have fun. I'm going to the Knicks. Does Kyrie say, all right, I'll come to the Knicks. Or does Kyrie still go to the Nets and then now it's just Durant and – DeAndre Jordan and then they go get someone else or is there an alternate reality where or, or in, this, is in this reality I guess what the question is is does Durant go to the Nets and basically follow Kyrie despite his desire to make his own decision because given his injury he just can't risk going somewhere by himself He needed the insurance mm-hmm. of knowing for sure there was another star and this other star is going to a team that's still in the city so like I wanted to be in New York that really hasn't changed
0: So what could could the Knicks have done when they saw his Achilles snap? Because once you go all in on this, like, hey, we're here and KD wants to come here. Rich Kleiman, his manager, has been adamant about being – he's a huge Knicks fan and wants to run the Knicks one day. He's already tweeted that. Like, we've got this in – we're going to put all our marbles uh, into the KD sweepstakes. And once that Achilles happens, you don't have the assets to kind of pivot, do you? Like you have the draft, you can trade the uh, R.J. Barrett pick, um, but once you go all in on that, the risk went, is that he hurts well, himself and it blows up, and this is what well, happened.
1: They went all in on, on on free agency, right? But obviously they made him a priority, um,
0: but then didn't, right? Well, after the well, playoffs,
1: okay, right? yeah, so 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 you're asking like, what do you do when when that happens? I said, well, we got to start with. They made the decision to move all in on free agency by trading Porzingis, and uh, and I thought they got great return on it. And I said it at the time, and I say it now. If you plan on signing two max free agents, you cannot decide on that plan on June thirtieth. You got to do right. Like if you want to be a part of this game, it's like saying, like, hey, I want to fly to Vegas. Today at three o'clock, but I ain't gonna go to the airport until like two. I'm not gonna buy a ticket or go to the airport until like two fifty five. Don't work like that, buddy. Like you got you got to do it ahead of time, and only the only thing is in this case, I don't know if this flight's gonna take off or not. Right? (laughs) Versus, uh, you know, in a real life situation, the plane usually takes off on time. So. They got great asset value. They didn't just dump him. They didn't do the Andre Iguodala. We need to dump this guy anyway we can, and got screwed in the past. They got immense asset value, particularly when you, if you, enter in the equation the question marks about Porzingis' health and then the off the court incidents, right? But that aside, just from the standpoint of we traded this dude, they got great asset value, right? He's, he ruptures his Achilles in late in mid June. At that point. It's probably also too late to develop a plan B because if you're the Clippers, for instance, Clippers spent a year putting their eggs in the quiet basket, right? The Heat spent a year putting their eggs in the Jimmy Butler basket, right? You, you kind of know who has a chance. It's not like, uh, what well, about Jimmy Butler, you want to come here? I'm like, no, no, it doesn't work that way. It's, you kind of already set your eyes on a target and put on all the resources because if you try to double dip, they'll know. Like you told me I was your number one target, but I talked to Jimmy. He said he was your number one target. I was like, well, okay, which one is it? Right. So you can't really as much as people think like, Oh, you could just pivot to this or that, like usually the pivot happens when someone else is when you some the guy signed somewhere else and now you've gotta see what's available. So All right, so he ruptures his Achilles. You know you've set everything up for this. So but the reason why Jim Dolan was reticent was because he's like, Well, Joe Kim Noah, Amari Stademeyer there's a third name that escapes me right now, but like there's a history over the last ten years of the next sign dudes who had an injury issue of one sort or another to massive deals and then they ended up being complete busts. Is and Alan so, Houston
0: on that list? Like what is Well
1: no Alan Houston was theirs and Alan Houston uh got hurt one year into his deal. Um and then back then, you know, he did a microfracture, and back then microfracture wasn't exactly the best. No one does microfracture anymore. anymore. I'm sure you know that, right? Like, yeah. isn't that weird? Like, that was the big surgery. It was like that was the, the hot surgery. Was so, in. is so in right now. But it's kind of like the guillotine, right? Like, oh, he's
0: got a yeah. microfracture. Yeah. Like, oh no. But it's,
1: not, but it's funny that it's like the boogeyman, oh, yes. yes. Or he could just rehab it. Like, really, we were just cutting yeah. people for no reason. It, it's not the guillotine. It's it's uh it's you know it's medieval like uh, medicine like. All right, I just gotta cut with a small infection here. Rather than all right, let's put some penicillin on it. Well, that's gotta go. And then just chop your hand off, like, okay, uh, you're fine, you're fine, you're, so we'll call you stumpy now. But um, yeah, so it was it was most of the guys in the last ten years, like starting with Amari Stadamar signing and moving on, right? I so said there's two things though. Cause when we talked about this, I was all right, like okay, that's a fair, like initial very surface level yep, gut yep. reaction, right? Yep. As if there's two things. One is, in each of those cases, their teams, their, the incumbent teams that they came from, who had all of the medical knowledge and resources about these players, had zero appetite to bring them back, or a little appetite, I should mm-hmm. say. And I can speak with 100 percent knowledge because I was in the room for all the Mars out of our conversation. We offer them a $100 million dollar deal. The first two years were guaranteed, and then three, four, and five all were partial guarantees. And the, and the, the, the guarantees were based on the most minimal of, um, in, of, of like, of, what do they call it? incentives or whatever he had to make, which was play 2,000 minutes in the year before, right? It, it was, like, oh, all you yeah. had to do was just ha- yeah. have a pause. Just, just, yeah, just be on the court. Just, yeah, just be on to, the court. You yeah. don't have to be good. He could have been trash. He would have got every single last dime. But then the Knicks come with full five years. And if you're a player, one I I told Lamar, I was like, yo man, you've no question, you take their deal. Yeah. It's, it's not I'm like I'm not even mad or upset or, or frustrated. It's like, oh shit, man, someone someone did that. You got to do it. But like, if you're the Knicks, you're saying you, at the time, you got to say to yourself, wait a second, the team that has him that has all his medical knowledge is like. Eh you're gonna go you're gonna go all in on this all right so that same thing with joe kim Noah. like the bulls had zero appetite to bring him back you're gonna go all in on this all right so in this case kevin durant his incumbent team not only does his incumbent team give him the five-year full max but there's an also another team out there is also like yeah we'll give him a full max as well and
0: not just any team this isn't memphis
1: but, it, but even if it were – I'm just saying, yeah, yeah, like, yeah, yeah, from yeah, the yeah. standpoint of I'm worried about his medicals, A, the number one person that you should, like, follow their lead is not not worried. And then, B, there's someone else out there who also similarly is not worried. I'm not saying you should follow the pack, but just in terms of – it's, you know, I was watching this uh, thing on PBS yesterday about black holes. Uh, and <laughs> – how 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 like scientists figured out where black holes are and what black holes are, and uh, the the, li- the lady who was explaining it was an astrophysicist. She's she shoots. This, she's like I'm outside of St- Yankee Stadium right now, but I can't tell if there's a game going inside or not. I can't see the players. I can't see the field. Uh, it's it's just a, I'm on the outside the building. How do I know? And then she says, but if let's say people start showing up, and I start to see people coming out the subway. And they're all going to this building. Well, now I know something's happening inside of Yankee Stadium. And then if I continue to study the stuff that's happening, like all these people wearing Yankee t-shirts and hats—it certainly looks like it's baseball. It's not
0: a Billy dress. Joel concert. It's yeah, it's
1: a Yankees game. So it's like, despite us not being able to know what's inside, we can surmise from the stuff that's happening around the event. That there, this event is in fact happening, and that's how they discovered black holes. It was literally they, they couldn't because they never they just took a photograph of a black hole for the first time like earlier this year, mm-hmm. but they knew they existed by reading what's happening around it, all the, how everything all the around clues it is around it, yeah. Everything around how every literally how all the part like the stuff around it is behaving. They're behaving as though there is this thing in the center of it that is sucking everything in. Right, and that's how they knew what black holes were. It's the same thing, right? I'm not telling you to follow people, but I'm just saying if you read all the signs and the things around Kevin Durant, you know, okay, he's there, and there's a. I'm not saying 100 chance because no one can give you that kind of promise, but there's a there's a good chance he'll be okay, right? And then the other part of it is, at no part of any of these failed signings that the Knicks had over the years. Did anyone ever say before those guys got hurt, that's the best player in the NBA?
0: That's what I was just going to say. I was just going to say, Amare, what is he?
1: He was all NBA. He was good. Good? He good. was, he was like, he's like in the all-star, Chris Bosh territory where it's like. I'll be honest with you. We, we During free ages, we knew Bosh was better. And, R- and, right, but I'm it, saying we... Bosh
0: was never like an MVP, perennial MVP. Oh, yeah, candidate. So he wasn't he was like, he he MVP or Kawhi or LeBron, He wasn't
1: an MVP right? candidate, no, no. And, and, you know, th- you can argue that, like, their trajectory, they could have been MVP candidates one day if things had gone right for them in their own team situations, if they don't get hurt, et cetera, et cetera. But at, we're just saying in 2010, those guys weren't MVP candidates.
0: Being nervous about Kevin Durant's health, his medicals, is not equivalent to being nervous about I mean, Amari Stoddard.
1: Exactly. Exactly. Because and, the and,
0: payoff is so much higher.
1: To a way lesser extent, Joe Kim Noah. You know, like you're even—it's not that's even way crazier a comparison. And then you also think about Noah and Amari, who so much of the game. They, first of all, they were bigs, and so much of the game was built on. Were more mobile than the people guarding us, right? Or were more mobile than the people were guarding in the case of Noah. Um, so being hurt was like that was a big. Chunk of like, oh, that was like what I brought to the table, right? Durant, although he's a fluid, mobile guy, the number one thing he brings to the table is I'm seven feet tall and I shoot threes like Steph Curry. And so, even if we imagine a world where there he gets, no, if he comes back looking like Demarcus Cousins, right? Mm. But the difference is he's seven foot and he shoots threes like Steph Curry, right? Demarcus Cousins, so much of it was. And I still he's think, gotta like, wait, he's got to. Yeah, there's a lot going on with Demarcus Cousins beyond just he, he snapped his Achilles. But, like, most importantly, he doesn't have the skill set this dude has. And so, you know, I mean, like, Rudy Gay is probably a closer comp. And Rudy Gay, by the way, ruptured his plant leg, his left Achilles. Kevin Durant, oh, yeah, same thing. Demarcus Cousins ruptured his left Achilles. Kevin Durant ruptured his right Achilles. So why does that matter? Well, if I'm a right-handed, dominant right-hand guy... You're always pushing off, yeah. I'm Most of the time. You know, obviously he's so skilled he does it off either leg as he did when he got hurt going trying to go around um, Serge Ibaka. But the reality is, if you have to pick one that's got to go, pick the right one. Because the left one, 90%, or 75% of all his stuff is playing off the left leg and taking off the dunk or pushing off to, to make a move or go buy somebody.
0: That was one of my favorite little tidbits about Steve Nash when I was like learning more and more about the NBA is watching him learn how to do things wrong.
1: Yes, the jumping off one leg. Jumping the off, one off the light.
0: wrong foot, jumping off the wrong leg or, or t- using the wrong hand on a layup because so much of this game is just trying to improvise and try to play off of people's expectations and their tells. And Steve Nash just decided one day, maybe he wasn't the first one, but he was the one that always stays with me, is just a guy who capitalized on all yeah. of our instincts.
1: Yeah, like the idea is like this guy's taking off his left leg, that means he's going to go over the right. Whoops, nope, he went over the left hand. Yep. Right.
0: And and part of being an NBA player in today's uh, NBA is just trying to be as unpredictable as possible because with analytics right. and synergy and uh, second spectrum and tendencies and scouting and everything is is – uh, studied yes. every one of your movements is studied so
1: we had we had jaron jackson jr on the jump and uh, i thought that was so funny where he sa- he talked about what was we were talking about what's the hardest part of playing in the nba after a year and he said being scouted like to him it was like a shocker the idea <laughs> that people stayed up at night to figure out like okay he likes to do these three or four things and now when people are guarding you Whereas you've always played basketball in life to do, like I'm gonna do this and then oh oh he doesn't I'll spin back that's my thing like, you know, just kind of reactionary things. Yeah, you, you find out that people figure out there's a pattern to what you do, and now they're going to defend you.
0: Let's 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 get into this now because um, we're gonna find out about Kawhi in the next couple of days, whatever. But one of the things we do know has happened is that. Andre Iguodala, who is one of those scouts, who's a guy who just knows every one of your moves. He is traded from the Warriors after Kevin Durant makes his decision. They had two options, essentially, two doors that they could go down. down. Maybe three. But let's let's talk about these two doors that Bob Myers and the Warriors went down. One door is just let D'Angelo Russell go wherever he wants to go. Keep Andre Iguodala. Hold him as a trade option or keep him for your team. Um, Don't give up... A couple picks to to move on and and move Andre Iguodala and uh and make and facilitate the deal with with the Nets, or they just decide to keep all that and go into this next season with Andre Iguodala. Um, what they chose to do was to blow it up and take on D'Angelo Russell, who does not, in my opinion, fit well next to Steph. I think everyone fits with Steph because he's a he's a spacer and draws so much attention offensively. But from an asset play and from a locker room play, Andre Iguodala, I think, is a huge loss. Ethan Strauss wrote about it. Um, You know, I've I've campaigned for his Hall hall of Fame. Um,
1: I'm not with you on that one. I I love Andre. I think he's a brilliant, one of the smartest basketball minds we've had in the league during his time in the league. But he's not a Hall of Famer. Like to me, the Hall of Fame is. You gotta do a lot to be in the Hall of Fame, I guess is what I'm saying. And oh, man. there's an argu- there's an argument to be made. It's gonna sound crazy that Andre Godala actually underachieved in his career. Now how much how of do that you
0: underachieve been, as a finals MVP after what happened in in Philadelphia?
1: Because like, I think I think I think it's through no fault of his own, because I think he was misunderstood earlier in his career and misused. But Andre Godala should have been doing more of what he did in short spurts for Golden State, for a team like over longer spurts. And what I'm saying is, he did it as a sub, as a guy who who would come in, play 30 minutes, and some nights he would bring it, and some nights he would do the little things over here and there. And he had the talent, I would say, to do it every night. Maybe not as a number one guy, but as definitely like he could have been Scottie Pippen. Yeah, right? that's what like, Steve Kerr like,
0: says. He says he's he's our generation Scotty Pippen.
1: Sure, but Scotty was a seven billion time All Star and yeah, was an yeah. MVP candidate and like averaged twenty points a game for like seven seasons and, and was uh you know. But even though, league, though
0: that he wasn't Scotty, I th- I still think like there's a there's a that's, there's, that's there's a point. big gap between Scottie Pippen and borderline Hall of Famer. There's a big gap between there. Like Scottie Pippen uh, isn't a borderline Hall. You can be lesser Scotty Pippen who, and still be who's, a Hall of
1: Famer. Who's the comp? Who, who are the comps? Were the comps for Andre Iguodala? Yeah. Like, if Andre Iguodala had Grant Hill's career, where he had six years of I'm the f***ing man, and then the rest of his career was I'm Andre Iguodala, I just fit in a dude, I'd be like, yeah, he's a Hall of Famer. But he didn't even have, have two years of, of Grant He didn't even have one year of Grant Hill level. So, like, who's the comp in the Hall of Fame? They're like, oh, he's a he's a Hall of Famer like that, dude. It's a
0: good question.
1: And, again, this, I don't mean this as an – because Andre – legitimate is one of my favorite basketball players to watch play. Yeah. Like w- when he uh stole the ripped the ball off of Damian Lillard uh and then ran into the locker room saying these are crazy and he's talking about his ha- own hands. <laughs> like like to me
0: badass moments w- and yeah. where where
1: yeah. like some people get off on like oh Giannis dunked all over that dude or oh Steph pulled up from forty five. Like that to me or like Damian Lillard's you know walk off shot or quiet landed, like those were great moments. To me, that's something <laughs> I'm never gonna forget. These Crazy and he's talking about his own hands. Like that's the level of nerddom Andre Godala, I'm in on. But he's not a Hall of Famer, man. Look, I can name a bunch of players that I loved and respected. I think they're winners, and you gotta have guys like that in your locker room, et cetera, et cetera, who are not Hall of Famers. David West is one of them, right? Jabir Nelson is one of them. Um uh i to think who else. I mean,
0: I don't know if Antoine, Antoine Jameson's in the same category because he wasn't like mm. uh, didn't win championships regularly,
1: but uh, well, it wasn't even the championships. I think Antoine Jameson because
0: well, it kind of it kind of the Andre Iguodala's case rests on the fact that he was uh, an incredible defender, passer, shooter in big moments during the Warriors era. Like, right. I think it's fair to say that if the, if he doesn't go to the Warriors and doesn't win the, these championships, he's not a Hall of Famer.
1: But, uh, I, but I he, guess he I can't take
0: that away from him just
1: because he no, did it, right? Like, I know, can't but, be, I, but this alternate
0: to, universe where Scottie Pittman doesn't go and plays for the Bulls under Phil Jackson and, and Michael Jordan, he might be still an all star, but he's a uh, no doubt Hall of Famer.
1: So that, but that's my point. You actually have to go and do it. You can't say, oh man, they used you wrong. You should have been doing this stuff for your entire career. But I'm going to assume that you would have been like, no, like it's much like I, I can't say, oh man, Scottie. Oh uh, man, you you just got landed in the right situation with with Michael and with Phil. And if you had been on your, if you had stayed with Seattle, right, the team that, that drafted you, you would have been just some dude who averaged 10 points a game, or you were Sean Elliott or something. Okay, but that didn't happen. And Andre and uh, excuse me, Draymond Green. One day someone's gonna say, oh, that's just because he played with Stephanie like, Okay, but that didn't happen. Andre Iguodala, unfortunately, has a large chunk of his career where he wasn't doing those things because he didn't play. With those guys from the beginning or whatever, mm-hmm. and that's it breaks my heart. But you know, like Luol Deng, like Luol Deng was an all star more often than than Andre Iguodala was, right? And I love wall That's my guy. But Luol's not a Hall of Famer, unless we say like for some yeah, other.
0: Lu, Lu, Lu didn't do what Andre Iguodala did in the
1: post. Lu, Lu didn't play on the Warriors. Lu plays on the Warriors. What kind of player does he look like? Right? Maybe not the same exact things the Eagles does, but those kind of little things that we we as basketball people appreciate and know. Man, that was the difference between winning and losing. Like everyone's gonna look at Steph and everyone's gonna look at Clay and all that. But that right there was a the difference between a W and an L. Like we understand the value of that. But again, that's not enough, man. You you have to actually. Put together a well, lot sure, of other. I'm decisions. sure
0: you've read my column, I mean, I'm sure you read every word of it. But here's I, the here's the basic tenets of the Hall of Famer case for him: one Finals MVP, 38 out of the 39 guys who have been Finals MVP. Uh, Cedric Maxwell being the 39, 39th. Yeah, 39th oh, oh, but
1: and by the way, um, also, I'm sorry, it's 37 out of 39. Cedric Maxwell is one, and there's another one who can't even get on the like into the final nominee ballot: Chauncey Billups. And that's a travesty. So, well and so Chauncey's he, a guy So refresh so, my memory here so he's not on the ballot? Like he like you know how like there's a there's a first cut and then yeah. there's a second cut and then like so he like the first year I think he made the first cut but didn't make the second cut. And then last year I don't even think he made the that's first ridiculous. cut. That's ridiculous. And that's ridiculous. And and to me, like Chauncey, Chauncey would built, be such Chauncey's, a Chauncey's the comp. But again, Chauncey again, Chauncey six time All Star. Chauncey, five time all NBA, right? Mm. Like if you're going to say finals MVPs who have been snubbed from a Hall of Fame, the Chauncey Billups like goes on a lot sooner than Andre Iguodala, right?
0: I agree. And so, I agree. And so that, that, I think that's, Chauncey that's, has a much better case than, than yeah. Iguodala.
1: And, and by the way –
0: There are plenty of guys in the Hall that are not the same – not there's, in the there's caliber a, there's, there's another
1: Iguodala. guy who's not a Hall of Famer who also – there's another two guys who I, I would put ahead of Andre Iguodala in terms of how are they not in the Hall of Fame. Chris Webber. And Ben Wallace.
0: I was gonna say Ben Wallace. I hope you say Ben Wallace.
1: Yeah. Like Weber, Wallace, and uh, and Chauncey. Those dudes. It's criminal that they're not in the Hall of Fame. And so it's hard for me to sit here and say Andre Iguodala's a Hall of Famer, when we got dudes like, come on, man. Like these dudes were All NBA multiple times, All uh, All Stars multiple times. In and Ben Wallace's case, and Chauncey's Champion. case, all yeah. defense, all yeah. defensive team multiple times. How many All Defensive Teams Andre Iguodala make? Uh, he
0: has been on. Two-time All Defense.
1: Okay, like yeah. again, but we I can also, argue that he should have been on more. Yeah, just like Sean Marion should have probably had more All All Defensive Team selections. But it is what it is, man. Like it can't be like, man, you was underrated. Oh, you should be in the Hall of Fame. It, so it,
0: three three-time champion doesn't happen without Steph Curry, right? Like that doesn't happen. But it did. He did guard LeBron James. He did guard Kawhi. He did guard yes. Kevin Durant in the twenty sixteen. Uh, yes, All Found these it. guys. I just feel like there should be a place for Andre Godala for wing defenders who aren't huge steals or blocks guys who just limit make things so much harder for the opposing guy. Maybe maybe his skill skill set because he's not a huge steals guy like he has some great steals, but he's not someone I, who's going to gamble for steals. But- that kind of defender is always underrated. And so the fact that he didn't get on all-defensive team, the fact he wasn't defensive player of the year, I think is reflective of the fact that his skill set isn't appreciated because it's not – can't quantify it.
1: Okay, so counterpoint. Bruce Bowen wasn't a steals guy either. He made a lot more all-defensive teams though.
0: And I feel like that's that's Bru- a little and, bit of and, a, a halo and, and, effect of being on the Spurs for those years.
1: But, but really? And there's no halo effect of being on the Warriors? Well, Come on, like You know what I'm saying? Like Like – and so like my that's my thing like and by the way let me just be clear to everybody Andre Iguodala is nine million times the the player that Bruce Bone was. I'm not saying Bruce Bone should be a Hall of Famer. I'm just saying Bruce Bowen was an elite wing defender who guarded point guards and guarded twos, threes and and some some fours at times and wasn't a steals guy and wasn't a blocks guy. He was just a a I'm in the right place right time guy. And and you know and, and so it, it's it's comparable and and he got more recognition. And so you know, it's I'm part of me is saying you're right. He should have been on more All Defensive Teams, but the other part of me is saying I can't give you credit for something that didn't happen, right? I can't. I just can't. Do, not when we're talking about the Hall of Fame. I can sit here and say Larry Hughes was a Defensive Player of the Year. Andre Dahl never was. Andre Doll nine billion times a defender. Larry Hughes ever was, even on his best day.
0: It's an incredible fact but in NBA I,
1: history. But I can't, there. but I can't then turn around and say, and that's why Andre Iguodala is a defensive player of the year. Oh well, no, 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 no! He didn't win it. <laughs> he never won it. I can't give him that credit. All right. So
0: the the Warriors aren't going to have him on the team. They're going to have D'Angelo Russell in his place, not in his place, place, but like, uh, how do you see that playing out?
1: So for me, right, this is really interesting. I think, unlike you, I think offensively there is a fit because Russell was a guy who played off ball. In his entire life until he got to Ohio State, that was his first year playing point guard. He played a lot of off-ball last year. I know they ran a zillion pick-and-rolls. I saw the second spectrum stat. But the reality is, like, Spencer Dinwiddie did a lot of ball handling. Early in the year, the Levert did a lot of ball handling. And and DeAndre Russell was, especially down the stretch, was, was mainly for for his offensive output, for his scoring, right? um so i think he's a good shooter and he's a decent decision maker with the ball in his hands i think if you do those things and you move like off ball you move around you're going to fit into the warriors offense and i'm not saying it's going to be seamless on day one but Mm -hmm. i think he's got the iq and the skill set to be able to figure that offensive part out and i think on the other hand Steve Kerr, especially with uh, Clay out, is probably going to run a little bit more pick and roll. I it's was going to say,
0: what do you think about not, Steve? Knowing Steve, what do you think about his openness to going more pick and roll? Because he's he's as anti pick and roll as they come. He's in
1: not anti pick and roll because if you watch him in the playoffs, they pull that out like every like there, there was the, the game six against the Rockets where they ran ten straight screen and rolls with and hit Draymond on the on the yeah, roll. Most every coaches
0: time. run pick and roll, so like I'm not I saying just,
1: I get it. I know, but I'm just saying like. I would say I would submit to you that Steve Steve's uh, aversion to pick and roll is a he he doesn't like it as a the solo diet which a lot of offenses do he likes there to be to mix it up and B he likes to hold on to that stuff for playoffs man yeah. like he doesn't want it to be scouted out he wants teams to have to adjust on the fly like oh shit they're pick and rolling now right and so uh, so. I think there's a universe where Steve will run more pick and roll. Maybe not look like uh, seven seconds or less. You know, where we would pick and roll damn near every time, but you're gonna run more pick and roll. It'd be dumb not to. You got this guy here. Who, that's what he flourishes on, and and it's not like oh well we do what we do. Clay does this, and that dude's gone. Iguodala's gone. Uh, uh, Durant is gone, right? So they're gonna need to generate offense. He's not weirdly dogmatic, and then, well, we're going to run this, or we're not going to run anything at all. Um, to me, the conversation begins and ends with, you lost your three best perimeter defenders. Durant out the door, Iguodala out the door, and Klay Thompson, at least for half the year, is, not mm-hmm. out, is out the door. And you replace them with a the dude who's not a good defender. And to me, that's just like what happened with the Rockets, where you lost three of your best defenders, and you replaced them with Carmelo Anthony. It's not just that you lost your best defenders. It's that the guy who's now going to be consuming many of those minutes is the Turns out. little opposite of what those guys were defensively. And so, how do they overcome that? How do they uh, how do they cover up for that? You know, this is going to be the greatest defensive job that Ron Adams and Draymond Green are ever going to pull off because they got to cover for so much now and so many of the security blankets and the things that made them great. Which was these high IQ guys, new win to switch. I don't have to tell you. We know it. It's instinctive, right? Think about the last play against um, against uh, Toronto in game two, where Kwai is ISOing and Andre Iguodala says, F it, I'm going to go double. That wasn't scripted. That was, he broke off. And then when Dre saw him audible that, Draymond then. Wraps an arm around Gasol, gets on the outside of Gasol so he can get closer to the corner, but wraps an arm around Gasol so that Gasol can't slip and go through the basket wide open. And so when the pass goes to the corner, he releases and gets an amazing contest. He got fingers on the ball on on Kyle Lowry's shot. Meanwhile, on the back end, I want to say it was Looney. Don't quote me though. He's already moved forward yeah. to like center the space between. A, uh, Gasol on this side and the man he's guarding on the other side. Like, dude, that's the kind of shit that you can't just say, oh, okay, DeAndre Russell can do that too. Like, we told, we went through practice, we practiced, guys. We no, <laughs> no, no. Like, some of this stuff is just like uh, you don't teach that. Those are just guys on that have been.
0: On that note, can I ask you? Because um, I was in an argument with with someone, a Knicks fan, yesterday, and uh, they were asking me about Amare Stoudemire, and you you've had time with mm-hmm. Amare. Why Why are some guys savants on one end of the floor and not on the other? Like, they just can't pick it up.
1: For Amari, this is very easy. Amari played in probably the worst development uh, arena and environment possible. And I'm not even talking about, like, all the, like, awful life stuff that was happening around him with his family, with drugs and violence, et cetera, et cetera, right? Because uh, that's, that's one of the great testaments to Amari Stoudemire, right? He grew up in a, like... Probably one of the worst environments. Every kind of stereotype you think about, like inner city life, like Amari Stoudemire grew up around that. And he played a long time in his NBA and, you know, through high school and all that stuff. Never arrested. Never, uh, you know, implicated in anything untoward. No DUIs. No, like nothing. He was spotless. And I don't think people understand how hard that is like to grow up in that environment and to literally come out of it spotless uh, mm-hmm. in a way that people with much more privileged backgrounds have not, right? But that had a d- d- detrimental effect also on his basketball development because he he didn't play for good coaches in good high schools. They let him do what he wanted to do offensively and no one ever taught him defense. Ask me how how bad it was. Ask me. How bad was it? Amar Stoudemire in 2002-2003 was the NBA Rookie of the Year. Do you know what Amar Stoudemire's high school record was? 2001 and 2002. No. 19 and 14. <laughs> so a player who is one year removed from being the best rookie in this league of grown-ass men. Yeah. Like yeah. averaging 13, 14 points against Duncan and Garnett and all these great Hall of Famers, right? A year earlier. Was barely 500. In, in
0: such a bad program in that they. Couldn't. High school. Yeah.
1: Right? And so he learned nothing. And so then when he came to Phoenix, um, the first year they went to the playoffs. The second year uh, they struggled and Frank Johnson, who was the coach, got fired. And uh, and uh, uh, that's when Mike D'Antoni took over. And so the team was so bad that literally they just said, man, just go out and get buckets. Mm hmm. And so all the things that if – you know, if Amari Stoudemire had gone to Oak Hill or something like that, right, or some – DeMatha or, or yeah. Malloy or some like – St. Patrick's, high St. Anthony's. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If St. Anthony's. Like if he gone to a program like that. And then if he had come to – got drafted by the Spurs or, or, or drafted by a team that had like an elite defensive big, right, Kevin Garnett happened to be his son. Amari Sadamari's defense probably would have been a lot better, but at some point, there's also just man, there's some shit that clicks in our head, and some like you and I are sm- both smart guys, right? But we're smart about different things. Mm-hmm. Right? There's some things that I'm really good at, and you're not so good at, and and vice versa. And it, at some point, yes, because we've had the respective training in those things, but also there is a, a a nature, there's nature versus nature. There's a nature part of this. There's just some things that for whatever my sister I'll give you a good example. I speak two languages. I speak English and I speak Arabic, right? And like Arabic I can get by in most places with my Arabic, but it's not like it's not like my English, right? Yep. I speak very broken French. Like I'm just barely picking up a word or two here and I can fake it a little bit. I very very broken Spanish again. Word or two here like if I watch Telemundo like I'll understand every seventh word. Oh, I got that one. And oh, he's talking about the ball now because I watch the soccer a lot of times on Telemundo. Right? My sister speaks English, French, Arabic, Chinese, right? A little bit of Korean, a little bit of Japanese. My sister is a prodigy when it comes to languages. We grew up in the same household. But for some reason, she picks up languages and I don't. Yep. I, uh, so I same way, like... Amari would have been like, could have been like me in language, like, oh, I speak two languages, which is still ahead of the curve of many people in this in this country. But to say like, oh, why is not he like, like, why doesn't it mean like his sister? Like, no, like, don't matter what I could have done, cause I went to school, I took these uh, other languages in school. It just doesn't click in my head like it clicks in her head, and defense doesn't didn't click in Amari's head. And by the way, he tried, man. That's the worst part. Like, I remember the last couple of years. He's trying. He hmm. just doesn't see the things that are happening around him. Like there's a a, a like there were just stuff that he was not aware of. It's not even because I always like make the distinction between there are players like they know there should have been there like well, f- it, I ain't going there. Yeah. Like I don't feel like I'm not going to burn that calorie. He's oh, not going to make that shit. Like they do all they take all the shortcuts. He's
0: not seeing the signals.
1: Yeah, man. It's not. It wasn't because of a lack of effort. The dude wanted to be a great defensive player. He just. Like it was too late for him by the time it became something of a priority.
0: Well, let's uh, let's get into Kawhi and the Lakers and the uh, Raptors. Like if he goes back to the Raptors, I'll probably have them as the title favorites. Mm-hmm. Probably.
1: Mm-hmm. You you know you know who my dark horse I'm going with right going now. With-
0: are you going with the Utah Jazz to tw- NBA Twitter darlings? Utah Jazz? No,
1: no, no, no. I because I think they, they've got. Uh, I like, I love what they did. Yeah, yes, they yeah. deserve to be the Twitter darlings. Yeah. And I, me and Zach Harper, have been on the Utah Jazz bandwagon far beyond all these newcomers. <laughs> but NBA <laughs> champion favorites? No, I'm going a different way. Philly? I'm going Denver Nuggets, man.
0: Oh wow, that that island is is deserted right now. That's you can simple. you can get some oh, really man. good cheap real estate in Denver, look, Champion Island.
1: Look right now, man. Continuity. Well, that's Con- why
0: that's why the Raptors. I'm I'm like man, yeah. they got it yeah, all. Yeah, but
1: but I I also go back to the Raptors also came within four bounces of not going not going to the conference finals, let alone winning a championship. And I get it, a little bit of luck sprinkled along the way hits everybody who's the yeah. champion. But I'm just saying, like. To me, like the team, because here's the thing: Nuggets bring back everybody, and unlike the Raptors, you look at the Raptors, you, you can say they're gonna be favorites. Do you think they're gonna be better than they were a year ago?
0: I was gonna say, here's the thing about Denver that's different than the Raptors. Denver's much Upside. younger. Upside.
1: Upside is huge, dude. So much more room to improve, right? This is and one of the things that gives me great um, optimism is. A year ago, I guess, they were coming off a season where they were bottom half in the league defensively. And, and then, without making a change in roster and personnel or staff, right? They didn't go out and hire Jeff Bizdelic or Ron Adams. And they didn't go out and trade for Kevin Garnett or, uh, you know, Draymond Green. They went from bottom half to top 10. And so I talked to Mike Malone. I said, Yo, how? And he said, We just had a frank conversation with all of us that we need to we all need to do better and that was the emphasis and so and i think they can still be even better at that on that i think milsat like, being healthy helps them yeah yeah and then the other part of it is beyond like gary harris is gonna be better Jokic is gonna be better jamal murray is gonna be like okay that's cool michael porter jr i don't i don't even know how healthy he is or how good he looks right now saw a couple clips won't lie Wasn't impressed.
0: I was just going to say, wait, wait, wait. You saw the same clips I saw?
1: Yeah, wasn't impressed, but it's July. (laughs) It's July, right? So you're asking asking me about April, May, June 2020, right? Mm -hmm. It's July. Just get back to court, and at some point, just being a 6'10 dude who could shoot the shit out of it, there's value in that, man. There's value in that. And so to me, obviously, I'm hedging my bets heavily. But I will point to this July Fourth episode that we recorded to let people know. Uh, yeah. So, like, if you're I going was a, to Vegas, was, if you're going I'm to the,
0: Vegas one day, like and today, and you were gonna, gonna, gonna sure. say, <laughs> and you're gonna place a bet on someone with odds to win the championship, I'm not saying you're gonna say they're gonna win the championship, but the best odds to win the championship, Denver is really good value.
1: I'm telling you, hey, hey, I'll tell you right now, hey, Denver, they're pretty good now.
0: <laughs> well, the, actually, t- Toronto was the fifth-oldest team last year. Denver, the fifth-youngest. So you want right. to talk upside. That's and true. I feel like Jokic um, and Zach Harper's way off the Jokic train. But I will say Jokic yeah, – uh,
1: He's not a Jokic guy, right? No, he's like, what's no. the big, what's, what's up here? He, he, his he,
0: whole point is he gets played off the floor in clutch minutes. How good can you be? Um, which did he I think see a, that –
1: hold on. Did he see that freaking uh, – Oh, the Portland, the seven overtime game where he yeah. just kept killing and killing, killing and finally he just, he just ran out of, game, fell apart like as a human being for paying 700 minutes.
0: I feel like it was one of those things where you see it once, it's a little bit of confirmation bias. You see him get pulled from a fourth quarter minute like once and now it becomes, well, you can't, you can't yeah. believe in that guy because he got he gets pulled off the court in fourth quarter and he, he might have that's like, that's like, yeah,
1: that's like my assertion that like, uh, Terrence Ross isn't a good shooter.
0: Because you saw like, like a, a bad because story.
1: every time every because every time I watch 10 Ross he never makes a shot but like I know what the numbers are saying yeah. but like, like but it's funny it's also funny to be like he's like he's like foot 39 40 from three right yeah. something like that yeah. it's funny to like have this thought in your head he's not you he, he can't shoot and then to watch a game particular playoff game and people are like, he's wide open. I'm like, he ain't gonna make that. No. <laughs> like, like and then be right. Like that's 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 what the confirmation bias comes from. It's not that you had this idea, because once you see the you know, first time you or there was a stretch where you consumed him and he was just what you saw. It's that later on, like in really huge moments, right? And things where second spectrum analytics is gonna say, You can't leave him open. That's like a, you know, they expected a pill go percentage of that shot for him, it was like da, da da and he misses it. Like, man, I told y'all <laughs> <laughs> your numbers <laughs> uh, other good
0: value um, I, I love Philly I love Philly I love uh, the Al Horford move I like I don't love the J- Josh Richardson move I like it um, it's
1: a good, yeah it's a, it's a nice salvage so so in essence this is what you've done you've replaced Jimmy Butler with Josh Richardson I mean, you've replaced Jimmy Butler with Al Horford some elements right like the grown up in the room elements yeah, right yep The the defensive IQ. Um, You've replaced Jimmy Butler's offense with Tobias Harris. Because Tobias Harris, the role he played last year was not Tobias Harris. He was just a dude. He can do more. Yeah, He can do more. And so when people say, who's going to take the last shots? I was like, Tobias Harris can be that guy. He can absolutely be the offensive uh, spark plug or like the guy who carries you from a playmaking standpoint down the stretch when Ben Simmons hides in his shell, right? And you replace J.J. Reddick with Josh Richardson, which makes you way better defensively and, I believe, way worse offensively. Because, A, obviously just not the shooter that J.J. Reddick... They're
0: going to miss that two-man game with Joel and man, which was money in the bank every time.
1: And and they're just so... Like, the reads, his reads were perfect every time because they just had such great chemistry. And Josh Richardson doesn't have that chemistry. And if we're going to be honest, Josh Richardson, decision-making, not a strong suit, right? Um, Now, there's an argument to be made that Josh Richardson played way above his head in terms of his usage rate was way further higher than what it should have been and so coming here is going to be a reset back to this is the role you should have been playing mm-hmm. uh, but because of necessity you played a bigger role in Miami so it'll be interesting to see how all that um, and then they, what else they had another pickup right it just happens in the little deals Kyle Quinn uh, no there was another there was a guard didn't they pick up a guard oh, uh, Raul, uh, Raul Neto
0: oh yeah your boy yeah
1: so, like, they're good moves, solid moves. But again, that's I love a Matisse
0: Tybull, too. I love Oh,
1: Matisse. yeah. I, I like Uh Zaire Smith should play, right? Yep. Some, right? So, but it's just like, there's a lot to put together there. And you know, for Brett Brown, does he have. I know, like, oh, they had the vote of confidence, but does he really have the confidence? Do they have the confidence in him to figure it out? Because that, there's a pressure there that, like, if we don't figure this out, Immediately, my, that's my right, and I don't think anyone coaches well in those circumstances. Um, so it'll be interesting.
0: What about the Lakers? So, my thing with Anthony Davis is I feel like people, a, he was in a tiny market that no one cared to watch him day in and day out, like over the years, like New Orleans. I just don't feel like people paid attention to him. Um, secondly. Uh, I think the injury proneness is overblown because it's not a bad knee. It's not a bad back. It's not a foot problem. It's all these knick-knack things with his wrists, his hands, his fingers. He has some shoulder issues, which isn't great. Um, but when people say, oh, he's injury prone, I, he's going to fall apart, I I would rather have him from a medical standpoint than say –
1: uh right?
0: Yeah. Yeah, uh, uh Klay Thompson, right? Like guys who have coming back from an Achilles or or foot problems like, like Joel Embiid, like I'm more afraid about Joel Embiid breaking down than I am Anthony Davis. Yep. And and so I think people are underrating Anthony Davis's health, and I also think that just in general because he had a one bad year, people are forgetting that he swept the the Blazers, were essentially the same team as they were last year. Swept that team and against the Warriors back in 2015, that was a really good series for him.
1: Yes, even though they got swept. But yeah, I other covered than game, that series. Other, other it, than game one, it was, it was a, every it, game was very competitive. Yeah. So, like, so, the,
0: Anthony Davis, I want to believe that Anthony Davis is going to be a lot better in LA than people give him credit for because they just assume that, like, there's just a little bit of recency bias here. They didn't like the way things played out with how things went down in New Orleans last year. And. For whatever reason, people don't want to remember the good things he did in the playoffs, but they'll remember... Like It's so funny how the narrative about playoff performers changes when a year ago, Damian Lillard and CJ were done. Break them up. Get rid of them. They can't perform in the clutch. They're overrated. And this year, it's the opposite. Anthony Davis is overrated, and then Damian Lillard and CJ are bona fide playoff performers. Where a year ago, it was a completely different narrative around these guys. So... um, but I just don't I, – I like Frank Vogel. I don't know about the situation, the infrastructure. When, when right. LeBron James came to Miami, there was infrastructure of the highest order. There was right. Pat Riley. The organization, the front office, had been together for t- two decades. You had Dwayne Wade, who had already won a championship and was an MVP candidate already in that locker room. And you had Eric Spolster, who was already a winning coach at that point. Young, but still no, knew what he was doing. And knew the culture, and, and knew the organization, and,
1: and had a billion percent support from ownership and from management. Exactly, yeah. like you
0: are as big on ownership as anyone I know. Yeah,
1: yeah. So, to me, there was no nonsense for shenanigans, and they're like, All right, "Take us back to Cleveland," then, mm-hmm. right? Like that was that was pretty much their their approach on almost everything. And so, you know, because these things take time, and they and they and they're very delicate. Right, and so it's important to have that kind of support system, that infrastructure in place, to be able to withstand what is going to be a very tumultuous beginning, which it ended up being in Miami. Right. Um, now, when we talk about the Lakers, um, my questions are not about Anthony Davis' durability per se, although. There is an element that I think plays in. So first of all, obviously all the infrastructure stuff. Like who's in charge for one? Like is it Linda Rambits? Is it Rob Palenka? Who? Like uh, you know, is Magic still in the in the mix, right? To um, their roster, dude. So if Quiet goes there, again, you've got four point eight exception. And then you got minimums, the, like, if like it's, it's going to be DeMarcus
0: Cousins and Carmelo. Six through
1: fifteen, right? but see, yeah, so yeah, so roster spots six through fifteen projected be minimum contracts. It'd be the most number of minimum contracts on a on a roster in NBA history, right? Start there, right? And then two, when you talk about what caliber player comes for minimum, there's two. There's I'm young and relatively unproven, and I'm old and I'm clinging on to past glory. Right, and we've kind of already seen it. Trey Daniels is young, and even though he had like a couple moments in the playoffs for the Rockets, or whatever. Looking like, for an opportunity. Yeah. He's yeah, he's like still a, a relative unknown in this league, right? And then Jared Dudley, love the guy, smart guy, winning kind of, kind of, going back to the guys we talked about, David West and Andre Iguodala, whatever. But also, best days behind him, clearly in his rear view. right? He went from making ten mil last year to making minimum. That's the, the biggest like, – if, if he could still make 10 mil, he would, right? Mm-hmm. So that's where you're starting with. And so you're going to see guys like that, right? Lance Stevenson, uh, you know, De- DeMarcus Cousins. Ron- yeah. And so these, those guys. Yeah. these are not the ingredients of a championship team to me unless those three guys play literally every minute of every game. Because you can't like think about it. It's like you say, oh, you want to do all the all load management team. The irony is uh, when people say, oh, it'd be the all load management team. Like, no, no, no. It's not load management when you have three stars and then everybody else is trash. Because that means like you need every bit of the stardom to get by on a day to day. The load, the the all load management team is Toronto. Quiet, sit down. We've got a bunch of dudes. We're not gonna win a championship with this outfit, but we're not gonna lose to the. To the freaking uh, magic was 17 on
0: seventeen and five in <laughs> his yeah. games. We're not. Set. We're
1: yeah. not going to lose to the Hawks on a Tuesday night, like either. Right? We're going to. We're going to be all right. And so the Lakers, if they get those three guys and fill out the roster the way we just said, especially considering also, a lot of the good free agents are gone. Man, like, forget about who, how much they play. Let's just assume there's a world where these guys say, you know what, I will pass up seven million dollars to play for minimum, but they didn't. And
0: that's the They're problem all, they, here. The, they, the they Lakers could have pivoted and said, All right, we don't like what we're hearing from Kawhi. Let's just go get Malcolm Brogdon and Danny Green and let's go.
1: Or Seth Curry and uh Boyan Bogdanovich or whatever. Yeah. But now now mind you, Tom, I say this saying that if they get Kawhi Leonard, it's worth it. But it just understand that year one pr- probably not gonna be a championship.
0: Well, it's like, kind of the same thing with the Nets, right? Like you it's worth it, but let's yes. pump the brakes, right?
1: Yeah, yeah. But at least with the Nets, there's something finite and discreet for people to put That's why they're not going to win championship. Why? Oh, because he's hurt and he's not play this year. But with the the Lakers, you tell people, well, because 6 through 15 are all minimum guys. Like, but you have LeBron and AD and blah, blah, blah. I'm like, okay. like I, It's it's it just, it's, you know, I had this conversation with Van Leighton. And, and I think we're going to have to wrap up here in the next five minutes or so. I Had this conversation with Van Lathan, right from TMZ. Really bright guy, right? Very intellectually curious guy. He asked a lot of great questions, and so he was talking to me. He's asking me about something like it was actually like a basketball play, and I and I described it to him. And he's like, "See, that's the stuff." He's like, "I find fascinating because so many people consider themselves like they know basketball because they all like have like their scrapbook of playing at the Y or playing in high school or playing in college even." And, he says, and there's just so much stuff that we don't know, and I'm like, that's that's the struggle of those of us who work in this business. Like, yo, I'm not just throwing stuff out there because like I don't like the Lakers. Or like, oh, I think LeBron is a, a phony and he just wants uh, the bit. Like, I because I understand how teams work, and I understand that Kawhi Leonard is brilliant. But if Fred VanVleet ain't balling out of control, they're not winning a championship. If Pascal Siakam ain't doing what he's doing, they're not winning a championship. If Marcus Sewell isn't guarding Joel and one on one. For much as they're not winning a championship, like, there were things that happened that if Andre Iguodala isn't who he is, the Warriors don't win those championships. I understand that. That's Hall of Famer, Andre Iguodala. It doesn't, doesn't, doesn't I mean, he's Hall of Famer. But, like, but that's the stuff that, like, the barbershop and even guys who've, like, played collegially, like, the, the, they're even guys who are pros, NBA pros, man. Like, I'll, I'll, like, I'll watch, I'll see people's Twitter and stuff. You know, it, it's – it's it, the funny thing to me is I get it when star players think it was all the stars. But when you're a role player and you think like that, like, come on, man. Like, mm-hmm. I, I'm not trying to distract from what they do. You I know. We ain't going nowhere. We ain't going nowhere if there ain't no quiet, right, if you're Toronto. We ain't going nowhere if there's no Steph and KD if you're Golden State. But you also have to, like, be able to look at your contributions or your peer, your, your true peers' contributions and say, no, there's no championship if Iguodala and Livingston aren't your sixth and seventh dude's in Golden State, right? If you replace those two dudes with Nick Young and Lance Stevenson, like, pro- probably, then they might win one, but they're going to win three. Like, there's a reason those two dudes are f***ing brilliant. They were basketball geniuses who should have been star players in their own right, and for whatever reason, they ended up here where, like, we're going to be role players. Like, you look at that Warriors team a year ago. Think about, like, think about these guys in the context of where they rank in the NBA in basketball IQ, right? Steph Curry, Klay Thompson, Kevin Durant, Draymond Green. Okay, those are the easy ones. Yeah. Yeah. Then then you get to Dave David West, 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 yep. Andre Iguodala, Sean Livingston. Like you got eight
0: Barbosa. Yeah yeah, yeah.
1: yeah, like uh, Bogut. You're going back, you know, to uh, prior years, you go back Bogut. You you're talking about guys who are literally all in the top 5% of basketball IQ in the league. But they're all on the same team as opposed to being sprinkled around. Yeah, That's why they don't lose. They don't lose because they're just smarter than everybody else. And now you're talking a team with three really bright guys and everyone else is what we've got on bare bones minimum because nobody else wanted my a- That's where we're at here.
0: Well, you're Hard about to, to be in Vegas. You're going to go am. to Vegas for a summer league. It's a great event every year. Um, tell the people why they should take part and what they can do to take part in Vegas.
1: It, it is the best access NBA event on the calendar. No if you doubt. are a regular working Joe or Jane, right, you can't afford $100 tickets to an NBA game to sit 20 rows away from the floor, right? Definitely can't do it. To take you and your significant other and your two kids, right? But let's just take the two because two is a, an easier number than four, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. So you, you can't afford that stuff. You can't afford the crazy parking around the arena. Uh, you can't afford the this $12 a $500 beer. D-
0: dollar a day, I mean.
1: Yeah, yeah, right? And by the way, also that I can sit basically with a view that's worse than me watching it on TV um, from my couch. Come to Summer League. It's 35 bucks for the entire day. You get to walk around, bounce between games. Everybody's there. I'm talking about you. all your basketball memories are walking, living, breathing, walking around. Magic Johnson, Larry Bird, uh, there's Steve uh, Kerr, there's, there's Steve right? Yeah. There's Baron Davis, there's uh, James Harden, there's LeBron James, who always shows up at least once once a year to summer league. You know. There's uh and then there's Zion Williamson, there's RJ Barry, like these people are all around and unlike an NBA game where there are levels of security, oh you can't come in this section other than a couple of select sections that they hold literally just for NBA personnel and media. You can go anywhere. You can if there's an open seat in the second row, guess what? You can walk your ass all the way down there and sit in that open seat. And everything is accessible. The concessions are cheap because it's not an NBA arena. And it's Las Vegas. Summer in Las Vegas. There's things to do. The hotel rates aren't crazy um, for the most part. It, it, it's just a great time to come and be in an NBA environment. And also, with these people around, they're all in a good mood. This is what I, I, I tell the biggest difference in Vegas and All-Star Weekend is All-Star Weekend, we're all stressed because what are we going to do? How are we going to do this? The playoff that In Summer League, for the most part, free agency is already over. Everyone got signed. The draft is over. And everyone feels good about their team. Like, yeah, we made some good additions. Like, really, like, oh my eternal God. in Vegas. Yeah. I mean. Because it hasn't yeah, – yeah, <laughs> you haven't been hit with the reality check yet. So yeah. that's why you come to Vegas, come to Vegas. Come, and then you see people like me and Tom Havistro. We're around, too. Yeah.
0: Well, hanging but, out with me is not nearly as cool as hanging out with me. Uh, or Magic league, Johnson or whoever. Summer league is is where it's at. It is amazing when you go to summer league and how you'll just be like playing blackjack and Russell Westbrook will just like sit yep. down next to you. Like those are things that happen. You know, maybe I'm not at the same table as Russell Westbrook and the buy-ins, but uh, but that's like you just like oh, and there's that guy and that guy. It's really cool. Um, if you haven't gone to Las Vegas, you live in L.A. Make the drive over. Like, make, get the flight, the cheap flight. Yeah, definitely.
1: if yeah. you've in driving distance, definitely go. Yeah. Definitely go. Make it a road trip with your buddies. If you if it's a flight, I get it. But also, still might end up being cheaper than going to an NBA a real NBA game.
0: I didn't know who Van Lathan was, so I just Googled him thinking he was Harvey Levin.
1: No, yeah. Van, Van is the dude that – okay, so Van's the guy that took down Kanye West on t- live TV and then went viral because of it.
0: So I was like, "Man, uh, you're hanging out with Harvey Levin. That's such a weird conversation." But that's not the guy I think I'm thinking
1: of. So. That's not the guy. A, that man is a black guy. The <laughs> <laughs> big
0: difference. All right, Amin had to go. That'll do it for this week's episode of the Haber Show podcast. Please subscribe, rate, and review wherever you listen to podcasts. Go tell your friends. Go tell your family. Go tell your enemies. All of them don't care. Want them to listen to this episode uh, and all the episodes. Go check out uh, Amin's work on ESPN's The Jump. Sirius XM NBA radio and go check out the summer league in Vegas. A lot of fun. Uh, I will be there. So if you see me, stop by, say what's up. Um, and until next time on the Haver show, when we find out what Kawhi Leonard does, we'll have an up- another episode in a couple weeks. Uh, we'll talk then.